Well, hello again. My name is Greg. I'm the youth and children's director here at Sunrise. And uh, Russ is uh, at Imago today. He's kind of checking how they're doing. And we can be bl- uh, praying for Imago as they continue to grow and, and uh, look to the future of what uh, God's doing with their church. And so uh, we just look forward to um, seeing what God does there. And, and Russ is there just to kind of support and just uh, send love and all that good stuff. So that's where he's at today. If you're like, where's Russ? Um, that's where he's at. So he's not, he's not on vacation, not yet. Uh, so I'm going to pray for our, our word today, and then uh, we're going to jump right in. We're going to be concluding our series on the kingdom of God. And so uh, it's been a fun journey, a fun 10 weeks, and uh, we look forward to what God has in front of us as well. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your word is not just information, but it's transformational. And God, we just pray right now that you would help us to submit to the authority of your word. God, I thank you that it is something that affects our lives and that we live differently because of the words that are there. And God, I pray right now that you would help us to live differently because of the message you have for us. God, that you would transform our lives and grow us to be more like you, Jesus. Thank you that you're never done with us, you never give up on us, and that you're always filling us with new hope each and every day and new grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, election time is done, right? We've we've, uh, done it. Last Tuesday, there was the election, there was this whole thing, and to me, one of the greatest parts of an election is the fact for the next, like, two months, there's no political ads. That's like the one thing I was like, we all are united on that one, right? Like, I don't care where you voted, we're all sick of those commercials telling us who to vote for or more often what not to vote for. And it's just, I'm really looking forward to the next, like, two months because that's about all we really get before the whole thing ramps back up for the 2024, which I'm sure will be crazy as well. But there's something interesting. When I go into the booth each time, I always think of this, and more and more often I'm, I'm thinking of this, is as I get to that booth, I see that sheet there, I see everything that's on that sheet, there's a conviction that I have in me that just says, man, I cannot wait for the day that it's not on me to decide this, that we can just simply submit to the authority of God when it comes to all these decisions where it'll not be someone else on the ballot, but simply God will be the ruler of everything, and we can just simply submit to that. Where we won't have to look at the ballot and say, who's the lesser of two evils, and instead we can just simply say, who is the ultimate good, and that is Jesus, and he will be the ruler of everything. Today I want to take some time and look at the kingdom of God as it talks about in Revelation. And uh, Revelation is an interesting book. Um, and just to give us a little bit of a context of the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. Uh, he, uh, this was close to the end of his life. Uh, he was a prisoner on an island as he was writing this, uh, island of Patmos, uh, or Patmos, and he was there because he was sharing the gospel, and they wanted to shut him down. Um, he, this, this book is written in the genre of apocalyptic writing apocalyptic writing, and it's a very unique writing when it comes to the New Testament. There's not a lot of New Testament uh, books that are, are written that way, but there are other books in the Bible that are written in that form. Uh, Daniel is one, Isaiah is one, has a lot of apocalyptic writing, and as along with other uh, minor prophets as well. 
And, and, and what does that mean when I say apocalyptic writing? Well, basically what it means is that we are going to have to take some interpretation of what it's being, being talked about here. Uh, that it's not just going to be simple like, here's the story, here's what we know, kind of like with the Gospels, those are narrative, that we can read those, we can understand it's telling the story of who Jesus was, what he came to do. It's not uh, one of the letters of Paul, the epistles, it's not something like that where it's giving instruction. It's something that as we read it, we need to understand that there's some things that are going to be a little bit weird, a little bit hard to understand, and it's going to take a lot of interpretation, a lot of understanding, and oh man, a lot of the Holy Spirit giving us the information. And so uh, the, the way I like to kind of talk about this is the fact that, you know, John is doing a very, very hard thing. He, he's taking some heavenly truths, a heavenly experience, and bringing it to a fallen world. And then he's giving it to us, this information, this experience. And the way I like to think about this is, uh, say you were to be transported back 500 years ago, and you would have to tell them what life was like today. How would you do that? How would you describe an iPhone to someone who doesn't even have electricity? Uh, it's a rock. You can see things out of it. Oh, so it's magic. Well, not magic. It's powered by the internet. Like, it's connected to, what's the internet? Um, well, it's, I don't know. No one knows, actually. Um, but it has electricity. What's electricity? Oh, man. You know, and, that, and so you're going to see a lot of similes through Revelation, where it's going to say, uh, it's like this, or it was like that. And John's trying to, trying to kind of give us these heavenly truths, this heavenly experience, and bring it down to our level so that we can understand it. And so the, the book is a very interesting book. It's a lot of uh, similes throughout it. Uh, but one thing that we can understand is as we read through this book, not that we're going to read the whole thing today. Don't worry, service isn't that long. But uh, as we read through this book, we can understand that it's going to take a lot of humility, a lot of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and we're going to have to submit to it knowing that in the end, this book is a book given to us for hope, that we would grow in our hope in the future. And we have to be careful as we read this because a lot of people have gotten it wrong. A lot of people have given dates and built whole ideas around things and uh, have been shown to be wrong. So it takes a lot of humility to understand it. So we're going to be jumping in Revelation chapter 1. You can turn your Bibles there. It'll also be on the screens. And we're going to be reading through verses 5 through 8 to start off with. And we'll be going through a couple other sections as well. But this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, uh, the ruler of the king of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, and even those who have pierced him, and all the people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. What we see in this introduction is John kind of, in a sense, citing his source. 
He's saying, you know, I didn't just sit down and just come up with this randomly. He's saying, everything I'm about to share with you comes from Jesus. And he's saying, that's who's giving you this letter. Uh, John is writing to uh, the Asian church, the, the church in Asia Minor, and it's a bunch of churches. And so he's writing to these churches, and, and he's saying, you know, this isn't coming from the Apostle John. You know, I'm writing this, I'm writing this down, but the message, the hope, the promises that are in this come from Jesus. And so that, is, uh, that way you know where all this is coming from. And, and what you're going to notice is John a lot of times is going to make declaration about who Jesus is. He's going to talk a lot about Jesus as king, as God, and, he, and he's going to help us to remember constantly that he holds this title as God the Son and the King. And I think the reason why this is important for us to understand is because a lot of times when we read uh, about Jesus or when we talk about Jesus, I think sometimes he gets painted in this light that he's like this happy-go-lucky guy. You know, he's always wearing knitted sweaters, knit, you know, knitted by his mom, Mary. You know, he's just, he always got a kind word for everyone. You know, and we get this idea of that's who Jesus is. But when you read through the Gospels, that's not truly who he is. And John constantly is going to be talking about the fact that that's not who he is. He paints him more as the king, that he holds this majestic title, that he holds this authority over all creation. And that's who Jesus is. And what's amazing is he talks about the fact that he was the first, uh, first to die and be reborn. So in a way, he's the king who is charging ahead. Uh, he's not just a king who sends his warriors to battle, to, to fight his war. He is Jesus the king who charges ahead of the warriors and fights the battle for them, that wins the day for them, and then leads his armies to victory. He leads his people to victory. So he is a king, a God with his people. Because God is with his people, he, he also has made his people different because of that. Yeah, what I, I love it that it says in verse 6, it says, and ha, uh, when he's talking about his people, he says, and has made us, his people, to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to be him, uh, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, you know, I'm making... These people of mine, they're going to be my kingdom. Uh, see, you remember what we've been talking about all the last 10 weeks, that uh, the kingdom of God is God's people with God's power and God's place, right? All three of those things, when you see those three things, that's where the kingdom of God is. And what he's saying here in Revelation 1 is the fact that God's kingdom is now going to be in his people. It's going to exist in his people. Wherever his people are, there is the kingdom of God. And that his people are not just a people who do whatever they want to, but they are kingdom of priests. That is their title. And so from that, as Christians, we can look at that and understand that that is going to be our call. That is our call, that we are priests first. You ever thought of yourself as a priest? They're like, no, no way, not me, right? But that's what the Bible calls us. We are a nation of priests. When you think of a priest, they are people who are uh, living their whole lives for God. They're people who are devoted to his word. They are, they are trying to share the kingdom of God. And that is the title that the word gives us. What I love about this is that that's what we should, when we think of ourselves, that's what should be our title for ourselves. More than your political ideas, more than your race or ethnicity, more than your likes or habits, more than your jobs or place in your family, 
more than any other label or title that we place on ourselves, God calls us first to be his. We are his first. That is our title. That is our main thing that drives us. We are Christians. We, are, we belong to God. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we all should quit our jobs and uh, start working for Sunrise? Uh, no, we're not hiring. Uh, and so uh, th- what I would love for us to understand more is not that we need to quit our jobs and become uh, employees of Sunrise or another church or whatever, but to think of yourself as what if you were the priest, you held that holy position, that you were that minister wherever you were. In your work, uh, what if you were the, the one who was there caring for those people around you, that cared for your employees or your coworkers or, or your customers or, what, or, or your boss? You know, what if you were the one that kind of, in a sense, took on that identity that I'm here to minister to these people? Yes, still do the job, but God has given me a higher calling to be here, a strategic calling to care for these people, to pray for them, to listen to them. When appropriate, share a good word with them. Maybe invite them to a Bible study or, or just care for them when you know one of them is sick or just had a kid. You can bring a meal or any of those kind of things where, where you care for them as you would think a church should care for someone. To think of yourself as God has planted me here to be this minister to these people and place them under my care. I think that there's something so powerful when we take hold of our identity as Christians and make that our first identity. And everything else still has meaning. All the other aspects, with your place in your family, your race, ethnicity, all those things are valuable 100%, but they fall under the first title, a Christian. That's what unites us. That's how we can have such a diverse community here, is that we identify and we understand that we are Christians first before anything else. So I don't care who you voted for. I don't care if for any of those things, because what I care mostly about is that you are a Christian, that you come to know him as your Lord and Savior. That's what unites us, ultimately, here and there. I love, uh, as it talks about, um, talks about the new kingdom, it paints this beautiful picture at the end of Revelations. And so I invite you to turn to our main text today, which will be Revelation 21. And we're going to read through a couple different sections of this but this paints the picture of what the kingdom is like, what, what it's going to be like at the very end when everything is going to be set right. And this is what the kingdom of God is uh, kind of shared. That's how it's talked about. And so we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to kind of go through, through it, through the first eight verses or so, and then skip to the end as well. But this is what it talks about when it comes to the kingdom of God. It says, Then I saw... A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people. He will dwell with them, And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without costs from the spring of the water of life. For those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they'll be consigned to the fury lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now skipping down to, to verse 22 to 27, it says this. I did not see the temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp or the lamp, the lamb is the lamp. The nation will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut for there will be uh, no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who uh, does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. This is the kingdom. This is what we're living for. This is the goal. This is the end point. This is what we strive for. This is what we live for. This is the end where perfection is given to us, where there is no holding back, that everything that had happened in Genesis 3 will be corrected. All the pain, the suffering, the failures, the anger, the addictions, all the hurts, all the evidence of sin will be corrected, will be erased, will be wiped away. To the point that verse 4 tells us that he will wipe uh, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will, no mo- there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, today we still live in a fallen creation. When uh, sin happened in Genesis 3, it affected not just humanity. It affected every part of his creation. And truly, death did come into the world, just as God told Adam and Eve that would happen. It's just they thought it was going to happen instantly, and what he was warning them is that this is going to happen now for a very long time. But here we hear about it being corrected in the new, in the new kingdom. See, uh, what's interesting is death is not something that just affects humanity, and although I think we can easily say humans have a, a, a desire to do evil. Uh, that's very evident. Just watch the news for five minutes and you're like, yep, that's a lot of evil that we seem to be capable of. But we also see that uh, sin has affected creation all throughout it. Uh, the way that animals are reacting, the way that the earth itself uh, reacts with natural disasters, that's not how it was supposed to be designed. That happens because of sin, right? The earth shakes be underneath us because it reminds us that we have no control over it, right? That the, there's a corruption, there's a corrosion there. Uh, viruses exist because it reminds us of the virus of sin in, our, in the people. And, and, and the true problem is sin in creation. And sure, we can come up with medicine, but truly what we need, what the earth needs, what humanity needs, what creation needs is a savior, is Jesus. 
I think it's interesting, uh, N.T. Wright, he writes a book, or wrote a book uh, called Evil and the Justice of God. And uh, in this book, he talks about the, the problem of evil. He talks about uh, why evil exists. And one thing he highlights is the fact that uh, the Bible talks about evil in the world in a very interesting way. It doesn't talk about it in this, like, philosophical way, mind, like, thinking about it, like, why does evil exist? What is even evil? It's none of that stuff. The Bible is way more practical. It's just like evil exists in our world. It's a problem that we all face every day. It doesn't need to prove that to you. And so it's just saying the, the main point that N.T. Wright, he says, uh, he points out that the Bible tells us not why evil exists necessarily. It focuses way more on the fact of what is God doing about evil in our world. It focuses not on why it exists necessarily, it focuses way more about what God is actually doing to correct the problem. That seems to be the, the, the focus of the Bible. So the focus is, on, is God working uh, to stop, maintain, and work through and correct the, the corruption of creation, to bring restoration to his creation. What is amazing with God is that he is doing all of this, constantly working through, through creation, through a falling creation, to correct it. What I mean by that is he uses you and me who are corrupted, who have sinned, who are messed up. Uh, I don't think I'm offending anyone if I say that we are a messed up uh, people sometimes. And we, we're not perfect. If you think you're perfect, then let us know. Maybe you should be up here. Um, I, you know, we'll maybe point out a few things about humility. But um, uh, what, what we learn is the fact that he does all this. He works through us, a messed up people. And, you know, he would be so much more effective if he just did it on his own, right? He could probably get way more stuff done if he just got up here himself and spoke, right? But yet he uses me to speak. He uses our amazing youth to, to help us to worship. And they're great. But, I mean, honestly, like if Jesus got up here and sang, he maybe would be a little bit better, I think. I don't know. I'm not, I don't think I'm offending any of the girls here, right? <laughs> so it, it's amazing that he uses us to worship him, to lead us to redemption, and that's a beautiful thing. It's almost like God's going to redeem his creation, but yet he, he uh, ties his hands behind his back to do so. And when he does, when he does that, he does it so that it would help us to grow in our relationship and our reliance on him. So it grows us as the people being used by God, but it also highlights his power. It just shows just how good he is. Here in Revelation 21, we see the end of the plan that God will have redeemed his creation and brought them from the old creation into this new creation, building on the old without any of the corruption. And that he has brought restitution to his creation. That's what verses 6 and 7 says. It says, he said to them, he, uh, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who have... Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Then again, God, in his wisdom, reminds us that those who have wanted nothing to do with him will get exactly that. Those people who have lived their entire life saying they don't want anything to do with God, he, he grants them that out of his grace. And this is not meant to scare us 
into heaven to, to make us worried like, oh, you better get right with Jesus, otherwise you're going to this bad place. That's not the, the point of this story. In fact, I believe that the point of this story is to give his people hope and to remind those people who have been victims of injustice that things will be corrected. See, I think it's easy for us to have this uh, disillusioned high place where we look at sin and everything that's happened and think, oh yeah, God should just forgive all those things. Like, why is he stressing so much? Well, that's easy for us to say if you've never been a victim of something. But when you go to those victims and you say, well, what, what, do, you, what do you expect out of this? You know, what do we say to the victims uh, who have been sinned against? Where are their justice? Where's the justice for the children who have been trafficked? Where's the justice for the women who have been abused, for the people who have been killed for their land, for the people who have been put in concentration camps, even in China, uh, for the victims of war in Ukraine, for the abused children in our own community? Where is the justice for them? We can't just say, oh, well, it all just gets wiped away. Jesus doesn't care about that. What kind of God of justice would he be? The answer is, where do they find justice? It's one of two places. They either find it at the cross, that it is forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life and died a death that we sinners should have died to cover every sin as long as we call out to him as our king and our, our Lord. So we either find justice there on the cross, the thing that justified us, or we find it here the lake of fury, where God corrects everything that has been wronged. Every sin that has been committed is corrected by either his blood or through this, the, through this proclamation. That is the answer. We find justice either at the cross or at the lake of fury. God, in the end, will make it all correct, which is why in verse 22, to the end of the chapter, it says that there will no longer be a place to go see God necessarily, that he is not a temple or a church building, for he himself is the temple. He, the whole city runs and lives in accordance to him, God. He is the light of the city. There is no boundaries uh, to cross to try to get to God. He is there with his people. And it says the gates will never be closed, that God never shuts it down, that they never have to close the gates out of fear. They are open all the time because he has won. There is no more enemy to God and his people. And God's people will be unified perfectly under one true king. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. It points us to the future hope where we can perfectly live as God's people under God's perfect power in his perfect place. We are called to live as people of uh, the priests of this kingdom. The Lord's Prayer that we've been reciting for the last 10 weeks, we pray in that. Uh, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that, we pray that understanding that we will submit in heaven perfectly. We will live perfectly for God, right? And that we are called today to live in that same way. That we would submit to God today just as we will in heaven, perfectly as priests of his. Meaning that we should live our lives with God in our minds today, right now, just as we will in heaven. The call for us is to live as the kingdom of people living for God all throughout Tulare County and beyond. What amazing influence we could have here at Sunrise if just all throughout our different sections of life, 
we started to live for God in those ways. So my question for you is who do you need to start being that priest to in your life? Who do you need to represent God to? Who do you need to share God's love with who's around you? Who do you need to that be that representation of God? Now, you might hear that and say, Greg, I'm no priest. I have been saying that since you first brought that up. I'm not perfect. I can't be that, have that title on my life. Well, I want to remind you that living for God is not saying that we're perfect. We don't got it all together. We mess up all the time. In fact, I want to conclude our time with a time of confession where we can lead through a time of confession together. And I'm going to invite you to read the people's part and I'll read the leader's part. And it's a time of just admitting, I don't have my life together, but God, I want to follow you because you have the perfect plan for my life. You have the perfect way for me to live. And so I submit to you, I will follow you, and I know that you are going to lead me to become more like you. That's the whole idea of sanctification. Sanctification is not that you are truly uh, living life perfectly. It's that as you walk through life, God is slowly transforming you. He's molding you to look and be just like Jesus. And so God is not done with us. We're a forgiven people, and so because we're a forgiven people, we can do his work as he calls us to do it. So it's not about being perfect. It's about following a perfect God, a perfect king. And so I want to lead us through this, this prayer. And so I'm going to read the, the leader part, and then uh, I invite you guys to read the people's part, and then right after that, we'll do the Lord's Prayer together. And I'll go ahead and invite the, the worship team up here as well as uh, we get, get going. But this is what the prayer of confession says. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have a fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and the sun uh, not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Will you read with me? Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you. us from our sins. Renew in us your grace and strength for the sake of Christ, most Lord. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Amen.